This week's podcast is brought to you by Health IQ, a life insurance company that rewards you for getting off the couch and onto your bike. They've spent years compiling data on healthy folks like us and are using it to provide special rates on life insurance for health-conscious people. That includes runners, strength trainers, cyclists, even vegans. We know our listeners ride, so support the show and check out Health IQ's life insurance rates specifically for cyclists. Get a quote at healthiq.com slash velonews. You're tuned into the Velo News Interviews podcast, where every so often we sit down with a mover and shaker from the world of pro cycling. This week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Stephen Hyde. Stephen is the current U.S. national champion in cyclocross. He's also just a really interesting guy. Uh, I sat down with him at the KMC Cross Festival in Connecticut, and I got to say, the questions I asked him uh, totally based off of the recent print feature story written by Spencer Paulson. Spencer, you wrote a great story on Stephen. Thank you. Um, He's a really interesting guy. He's actually an easy guy to write a good story about because he talks a lot, he's very open, and he's had an interesting uh, path to the career of a pro cyclist. Yeah, so it's a quick setup. Um, In U.S. men's cyclocross, typically the guys we see at the top of the sport are guys who are like junior national champions, U23 national champions. They've been part of the the cyclocross cycling machine in the United States for a while. They're known quantities. That's not Stephen Hyde. Mm -mm. Stephen Hyde came out of nowhere and he rocketed to the top of the men's professional standings by basically learning all that he could from the guys who came before him guys like jeremy powers and tim johnson and just sort of sponging up the information from the other pro riders and then just dedicating himself to it i mean spencer what can you say about the the level of dedication the monk-like dedication that stephen hyde has put towards cyclocross yeah he came up from a background actually of just riding BMX bikes mostly and then got a taste for racing and got on the Jam Fun team. And that is, I think, where he learned a lot of the craft. And yeah, he's very, very dedicated, very serious to when it comes to racing, when it comes to training. Uh, He's had a lot of setbacks, but he fought through them all. And you you could read more about that in the magazine article, but it's not like it's been smooth sailing for him. And that just, to me, indicates just how he's willing to put his nose to the grindstone and get after it. All right. Well, Enough of us blabbing on about him. The, the, the good listeners want to hear from Stephen Hyde. So let's get to it. Here is our chat with Stephen Hyde. You're tuned into the Velo News podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, editor-in-chief of Velo News. I'm at the KMC CrossFest here in somewhere, Connecticut. Thompson, Connecticut. Somewheresville, Connecticut. Yeah, it's, it's right in the middle. very nice out. Uh, I'm going to set the scene for you. I'm sitting here with our special guest, national champion Stephen Hyde. Hello, Stephen. Hello. And everywhere around us, people are getting ready to race. The sun's going down. It's very pleasant out. How, how would you describe the setting right now, Stephen? I would say the sun's going down. It's very pleasant outside. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Uh, we have a great episode. I, uh, I'm here with Stephen. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk about what it's like to be a national champion. We're going to talk about his um, non-traditional um, pathway to the top of the sport. But I think before we get into it, Stephen, I want you to talk to me about your look, your do, and just like the the red man of courage hairdo and facial <laughs> hair that we have going on right now. How do you how do you describe it? How do you keep it up? Well, I, you know, what I would like to say is that uh, you know, before I got into cycling, I was much more like this. I was a little more ragged. I think when I was like 15 or 16, I started growing out like chops, and then I probably had that until I was like 
24 or something 25 and then i was like oh i'm i have to be a serious road racer now and this is what i do and i'm, I'm gonna shave and i'm gonna be very clean cut and this is it man i'm just trying to fit this role and then after a while i was like nah man <laughs> so yeah I, I put up a, a picture on my instagram the other day my mom sent me it was just like hey you have the same haircut you did when you were seven and i was like oh yeah so, so it's full yeah. mullet you got the like oh, you yeah. got hockey hair going on oh yeah yeah What's the like? What's the idea behind that? It's just like when you want to walk, when you walk into a bar, you don't want anyone to start stuff with you. Well, you just want to be able to walk in and people go like, "Oh man, that guy's here for business." And then when you walk out, like, "Oh, that guy was here for the party." Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, fans of cyclocross will no doubt be able to tell Stephen Hyde by his. Oh, just feathery mullet. I mean, it's classic. <laughs> it's like a Laurent Brochard or maybe a Vladimir Carpets. I mean, there's some... Yeah, I'm really going for the Alan Jackson. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. No, that's yeah. even better. The American version. <laughs> uh, so, Stephen, as I was walking over here, you know, you are resplendent in your national championship kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cannondale Cyclocross World is the team. You have the biggest trailer at this race. And fans are drawn to it. And, and you're walking around and people are coming up to you wanting autographs, wanting to take photos with you. What is that like for you? It's awesome. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Like, everywhere I go, it's not, uh, I guess maybe as opposed to when I was uh, a lot younger, when I felt like people were looking at me, I was like, oh, they're looking at me because I'm weird. <laughs> now they're looking at me because I'm weird and they like me. And it's, it's cool. It's like everyone has a smile on their face and everyone has something like positive to say. And uh, I don't know. They just want to know, like, how my day's going or, like, if I could sign something. And it's really awesome. Like, they're here. They're cheering. They're at home. They're watching. They're 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 fans, and it's really really cool that uh, I don't know anybody even notices what we do out here. And I, I think it's a, it's amazing that uh, they come day in and day out, and they're they're so happy to be here. And it makes me want to come out more. So you never get to that point where you're like, eh, I've signed enough jerseys, taken enough selfies. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get to that point. <laughs> All right, excellent. I like to hear that. We need yeah. magnanimous U.S. Yeah. champions <laughs> like you, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> So we have a big feature story on you in the yep. current issue of Vela News, which is the big cyclocross yeah. preview. Thank you for that. Though. I know. Spencer Paulison did a great, great job. Yeah. And what really stood out to me about the story, well, two things. First of all, you have a very non-traditional progression through the sport. A lot of times when we are talking about national cyclocross champions, we're talking about guys who have been in the system since they were juniors, you know, raced in Belgium, been part of the USA Cycling's development system, been on the radar since they were kids. Uh, you are not that way. And the second thing that stood out to me about this story is the number of people from the cross community that have helped you through your relatively short um, progression through the sport. So, Let's get into it, man. Like, talk to me about the various cycling communities you've been a part of and how you got to this point of being an elite racer. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I have always been into cycling. Always. I mean, ever since I was a little kid. I mean, I... uh I remember when I when I was really young, like I, you know, I was always like the worst out of the neighborhood kids. Like, I was always the worst out of the neighborhood kids. I was the smallest. I was like always the the, the slowest and and whatever. But I was always the, like the last one out there on my bike. And um, even when I, I fell in, like when I was like ten or something, and I cracked my head like wide open. I was in the hospital for like a week or something like that, like a long time. And I remember my mo- like I had this bandage on my head. And my mom would like go to work or whatever and I would be home and you know the bike was like put away and it was like you're never touching that again as soon as she left I would just like pull the bike out and I would like ride in the dirt around my neighborhood and like around the the uh, driveway and then I would like put it back 
and then I would sneak back in the house. <laughs> like that was it. So like there was never been uh, keeping me off the bike. Like that's, that's never been an option. But you um, were not like doing junior road racing or junior no, mountain bike racing or anything no, like that. No, not at all. I mean, I you know I, where I grew up was uh, it's pretty rural, like Northwest Florida. Um, there is a cycling scene there. I wasn't aware of it. It's never something that like. Uh, you know, was ever presented to me. I did, uh, I think my first competition ever was like, I did like a triathlon camp, like a kid's triathlon camp when I was like 13 or something like that. Um, I threw up on the run. That was fun. That's I'd, standard. Yeah, that is yeah. standard. I was the last one out of the swim. It was pretty good. That was my one and only time doing a triathlon. Um, I'll admit it. Uh, but you know, I had like a, a BMX background, you know, there was kids in the neighborhood that rode and I was just like, Whoa, those kids are awesome. My big brothers, like, you know, I'm the, the youngest. I have three older brothers and two older sisters and like they're half siblings. And they were all like at one of, you know, one time or another where I like had the movie rad and would pass it around and we'd all watch it. And like, they were into it. So I got into it and, uh, yeah, I just, it took off from there and, and, you know, through middle school and high school, that was kind of my addiction was, was like, was BMX. I raced for a minute, but never super successful I, and I was always really competitive but I was always behind so I kind of I found my niche in like street riding and skate parks and started traveling for that and it was a lot less expensive where I mean I didn't grow up with a lot of money so BMX racing wasn't really that much of an option I think my mom and dad did the best they could with it but mm-hmm. I wasn't about to like travel the country you yeah. know I could get to Dothan Alabama like two hours and that was that was probably the, the limit on that so then know. fast forward you're in your sort of early 20s late teens working at bike shops and trying to figure out what you want to do with your life and at what point does uh sort of bicycle racing traditional bicycle racing enter the picture i think when i was like 19 or 20 i was working at a bike shop and uh i had built this mountain bike out of like the dumpster and i I knew there was mountain bike trails my dad and i went you know when i was younger i had like a, a department store mountain bike and like he i remember he bought two of them so that when mine broke we could take parts off of his and um, so we went to these trails and I built this bike. It was a total piece of garbage. Um, and I did like one mountain bike race, the Fat Tire Challenge. And my boss like gave me a hundred bucks and was like, here's your entrance fee. And if you can beat your coworker, this guy always was just like, oh yeah, you know, I've got the lightest bike and I'm so fast. You'll never be as fast as me. And I was like, okay, all right. So, you know, he's like, you keep the rest of the money. So I did that and I, I did, I won the race. I dropped my bottle in the first little bit and I, I won a camelback. So it was like very serendipitous, but, uh, also it, standard winning yeah. the camelback. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was like, it was a while after that, that I did another road race. I did, I got into or a mountain bike race or road race. Um, I got into like bike touring, was working at more shops and got into more community involvement. Um, I ran various like small um, not-for-profit shops out of my garages or wherever I was at, and I was really into just getting people on bikes. Um, I ran a lot of free clinics at the co-ops and at uh, schools and other bike shops um, for the cycling groups in the area when I started getting involved with them. It was very community bike-oriented. Um, we ran like a small courier service and pizza delivery, uh, ran a... Uh, um, a pedicab service for a little while. Wow. <laughs> like, I was just really into bikes. <laughs> I just love the fact yeah. that you were like r- doing these things that don't involve racing. You're totally surrounded by bikes. Yeah. Maybe not knowing that you have a national champion's worth of talent in you somehow. Yeah. yeah you know, when I we started getting into like uh, Alley Cats kind of hit the scene in, in Pensacola where I was, right? And like Tallahassee and stuff. And we started getting into that and it was like it was a fun thing it definitely involved a lot of drinking um you know at the time it was just like oh yeah this is fun after work thing and kind of went along with the punk scene went along with the music scene and um 
you know, if I could make, if I could put the course together and like read a map correctly, I'd win the thing. And I was always like, oh yeah, of course, Stephen won it. You know, <laughs> he's like the most jock out of all of us. <laughs> and I was like, I was pretty okay with that. But uh, you know, that did start to translate. Then I was like, oh, maybe I want to do a mountain bike race. And I started racing like single speed mountain bikes. And uh, then it was, you know, I eventually, um, after moving across the country and doing all this, I got into road riding, and it was like randoneering type stuff like right so i have like a rivendell and bridgestones and all these things and i was like oh grant peterson is god and uh i was just really into like camping and kind of fast road camping if that's a thing <laughs> it is now you, i think you just made it a thing you were bikepacking before bikepacking was cool yeah, yeah, you're a trendsetter yeah. <laughs> right steven so, you're yeah. a trendsetter yeah it was portland man <laughs> yeah that's true at what point in there then does cyclocross racing and the belief that you could be a professional racer come into the picture? Well, so I moved back to Pensacola and I started doing some racing and uh, I started getting like okay with being competitive and okay with kind of like letting that side uh, blossom a bit. And, you know, I started taking more care of myself. And, How old are um, you at this point? Uh, then, I, let's say I'm in my like, I'm 22, okay. maybe. This is, we're, the timeline is choppy, but it's pretty quick. <laughs> um, and so... I, uh, I I like to dabble in things <laughs> and then get on with it. So um, cyclocross is really like r- this, racing is the only thing I've ever really stuck to in my entire life. It's the only thing that I've ever been like that's hard and I want to keep doing it. Not like eh, I got hard, I'm done. Um, so it's uh, you know I I started getting really competitive there and then in Pensacola and um, I found some guys I like to ride with. And I found a community I liked, so it got me more into road riding and mountain bike riding and um, then. Uh, I moved to, I started working at a bike shop on Martha's Vineyard and um, kind of found a coach and compatriot and the, the shop owner. And I was able to work in the summer and then um, work, you know, or just travel in the winter. So I was like, oh, well, cyclocross is a great thing to do in the winter when you're not traveling. So um, I went to D.C. and I worked at a bike shop down there, a bicycle pro shop. And I started the Max Series down there and the um, uh, Sportif Cup trophy and just kind of went through those ranks. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. But I was still, I didn't have a bike of my own. I didn't have a cyclocross bike. I had a road bike, and I think I sold my mountain bike by then. Um, and uh, so I was, like, borrowing this guy who came to the shop a lot, and he was like, it was, yeah, you can just use my commuter, my CAD 8, whatever, CAD 7 Sweet, free bike. bike. Yeah, he was like, yeah, just I'll bring it to the shop on Friday. You take the rack off of it, throw some knobbies on it, and race it, and then, you know, just tune it up and give it back to me. So that was our deal, and it was it was awesome. The sled. We called it the sled. And, uh, yeah, but then it was, uh, and then I moved to New England. I moved, I kind of moved full-time to Martha's Vineyard, and I was like, I'm going to make a go at cyclocross. I think it would be great. Um, and through that, through a connection on the East Coast, uh, my friend Rodrigo, and then then again through another connection on the West Coast, uh, my friend Natalia, uh, I got hooked up with Alec Donahue from the Jam Fund. And um, I kind of started my, like, quest to become a cyclocross racer like through that i was like okay if i can make it on this team they're gonna turn me into a professional and this is like your mid-20s at this point yeah this is when i'm like 24 25 i mean listeners to the valenies podcast should take note this is very strange like what steven has just said this is not the way it usually works this is really weird of like the most circuitous route to wanting to be a professional racer usually it's like some kid when he's 13 or 14 or you know racing for USA Cycling's junior program and right, right. getting all of the support in the world 
Not some like yeah. Not so clean cut twenty five year old guy from Florida being like, yeah, let's let's make a go yeah. of it. No man, I just stopped smoking cigarettes by then. Like it was like, <laughs> like at this point, I'm like, all right, man, I'm I'm not doing totally stupid things. <laughs> We're on the right path. <laughs> oh man, there you go, kids. Stop smoking, and you'll be a national champion. <laughs> I think it's good for your hematocrit. I yeah, think, right? that's true. Lung capacity, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, you know. I, that's what, so that's when you sort of get on the regional and national radar is with Jam Fund. And that's when you first got plugged in with Jeremy Powers, right? Yeah, with Powers and with, with Al. I mean, you know, you know, Jeremy is kind of, uh, he's the head of that, you know, he's the J in the Jam Fund. But, uh, you know, Al Donahue is, yeah. he's the coach. He, you know, he does all the, the roster and, and really is, he drives the van. He's, he's the guy, right? And so I actually, uh, I moved to East Hampton. Had a place there, needed another place to live, so I ended up moving in with him. And really, it was just through his like pure like mentorship and friendship that everything kind of came to fruition. It was like I could literally, you know, like my friend Rodrigo told me a long time ago. He was like, "Hey, if you want to be, if you want to be the best in the world, if you want to do anything in your life, you're gonna have to be everything. Like, you're gonna have to be Stebar, like a Stebar monk. Yeah. You're gonna just become a monk. <laughs> and so I did. I, I became like everything was cyclocross and everything was racing and. Um, I lived, I lived and breathed it, and I did literally everything that guy told me to do, yeah. and I still do. He's still my coach, and we, you know, still my best friend. So it's it works out for me. <laughs> yeah, but it really is just like I jumped into it. I found something I was good at. I loved doing it, and I found, I think through them that uh, if you chase the love of it and you chase that feeling, then everything else will come with it, and it's just how it worked out. What did you suck at with cross at first? I mean, everyone's good at something, but cross is tough. You know, you talk to people that have been in it a long time, and it's like, you know, whether it's mounting and remounting the bike, whether it's, you know, the run-ups, like, everyone sucks at something, I feel like. What was the the thing about cross (laughs) that you just, that that was real hard for you? Being patient. Uh, uh, I think like it's such a short race, and especially when I was doing the like going up through the categories, it was like thirty minute races, forty minute races, and for me, you know, I, you know, I can't tell you how many millions of little like BMX sprints I've done, um, even at the skate parks. It was always like very intense, short things. So holding my attention for very long, uh, long enough to where I wouldn't crash on like all the corners. Um, I've always had good bike handling, and if there was something I needed to work on, uh, I've always been the first to say like, that's a problem, and I'll work on it. How do I do it? Um, and, and one of the reasons, you know, I think that, like, you, you touched on earlier is that uh, a lot of people have had a hand in my, my growth and my development. I mean, a lot. A lot of people in this industry and a lot of people in this uh, this scene have had, uh, I'd say, like, a major part in my development. And, you know, I don't, I don't take that away from any of them, um, is that I've never been afraid to ask questions. And I've never been afraid to be the most annoying kid and just, like, come up and be like, hey, I'm Steven. We're friends now. I need help. <laughs> to be the proverbial redheaded child. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're like, Oh, hey guy, what's up? And I'm like, I need I need to know things. <laughs> and and I just it, I never took no for an answer and it was I was always the one pre riding with people, asking questions and watching. If somebody wasn't gonna tell me, I was gonna find out. Like I will watch them until it's the same thing I do now in Europe. I go and I, I you know, maybe I don't go up to Sven and go like, Hey Sven, what's the line here? but I'll stalk the hell out of them until I figure out what they're doing. Um, and I'm not afraid to ask those guys either. So, Did you have that type of relationship with Powers when you were on Jam and then you know your first years on this team? I know that from the story, you traveled with him and raced in Europe a few times. I- I'm curious what that relationship was like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was a lot of like me just watching carefully, asking questions, um, but also listening and listening between the lines on what he was telling me. Um, 
there is, I think with any anybody, any type of mentor you have, um, you can take them literally or you can you can take the overarching message that they have and kind of read between the lines, get what you need out of that and, and move on or, you know, put that in your bank. And I think powers is a really good example of that where like, there's a lot of things that are very power specific to his training, to his writing style, to how he kind of grew up and, and developed his uh, relationship to the sport. Um, I saw a lot of things that worked kind of for both of us that could work for anyone. I saw a lot of things that only worked for him that wouldn't work for me. Um, so, you know, you take what you can from people. And um, I think, you you know, I, I can only hope that I also gave back to his, you know, his life as well. So let's get into it. I mean, that's a big storyline for this year is, you know, you and Powers. Like, up to this point, you had been, he had been the mentor. You had been the guy coming up. And last year, we saw a real shift in that when you were winning all the big domestic races, culminated with the national championship. He was injured, uh, didn't have the same level of success. Um, how has that been on a, re- a relationship that I assume at one point was a good friendship? Um, how would you describe the relationship right now? Well, I'd still re- describe it as a really good friendship. I, I really would. I'd still describe it as a really good friendship, someone I can always turn to um, and vice versa. You know, he's got his family now. So not only that, but he's more of a team owner, team manager. So he makes a lot of time for me. I, I You know, we had this conversation the other day where he was like, hey, we don't hang out that much anymore. And it's not even like... He's not even the one doing that, you know. He he makes time. He calls me, and he's like, "Hey, we should get up for a ride," you know. So I I often have the hard time like finding time for that. Um, I wish maybe I'll get better at it, but so we don't see each other that often anymore. So sorry, Jeremy. Um, but uh, it's nothing against him for sure. Um, our relationship's still still really good. I I think that uh, our professional relationship is really good. I think we're uh, more peers than anything. And I think this year, especially, or towards the end of last year, he started really treating me more like a peer. And that's good. You know, that's that makes me feel good. And it makes me, uh, uh, makes me kind of feel more accomplished. I think a, a lot of the, I think there are all the writers look at me as more of a peer now. Um, no matter how I still kind of see myself as, uh, I don't know, I'm a little starstruck. I was for a long time, you know? I remember like going to Vegas as a shop guy and seeing like Ryan and Jamie riding around and being like, Oh shit! <laughs> like, oh my god! You know, and like seeing all these guys at races and watching the USGP on TV and watching, you know, behind the barriers or whatever, you know, and uh, just I was always a fan of it. So it's it's cool. I think it's awesome. I get to hang out with these guys. I was just at a press conference with them, and like they're my friends. I have them all on my phone. I can text them, you know, dumb pictures or whatever memes if I want to, and <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> How do you see yourself then within that community now? Um. I certainly see myself as a, a part of it. I mean, I, I think um, there's a, a trend now where I think people start to look to me as like uh, uh, some people look to me as like sort of a leader in that. And they're saying like, oh, well, you know, you have the audience now. You have this not saying that I have the responsibility, but I think that uh, there's more open ears and there's more open eyes. And people look and say like, oh, when when Hyde says something, maybe you will listen to it, which I still have a hard time thinking like why <laughs> what, what what did i say it's anything smart um and it uh because i you know the way i look at it like yeah, it's awesome to be able to wear uh, a national championship jersey it's awesome to wear the pan am jersey it's awesome to finish in the races where i'm finishing um i have opinions and i have seen some things i think a lot of these guys have seen a lot more than me they've been around for a lot longer i still very much respect all their opinions and i didn't like 
I don't know. I feel like I didn't run for office. I want a bike race. So for, for those things, like I just, I finished in front of those guys on that one day and now I get to wear a Jersey. I, I don't feel any like I am, I'm the guy now. <laughs> you know? That's good perspective. Yeah, here's a question for you, Steven. Yeah. So you got into the sport late. Um, You've raced in Europe. Um, do you feel at a disadvantage at all going to race over in Europe, knowing that, you know, guys like Jeremy, they've been racing over there since they were kids. You know, some of the other stars of American Cyclocross started going over there when they were U23s or young. Do you feel at a disadvantage at all um, in Europe or in the United States due to your late entry to the sport? No. Uh, I, for some time, would kind of get ca- caught up on my age. My racing is just 31. I signed my pro license for Estelle's pro racing on the road at 25. Um, so I don't... And I signed with Cannondale when I was 28 or 29. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, two years ago. So uh, I I sometimes would get hung up on my age and just be like, oh, man, I don't have that much longer to do this. But I think what that has given me is... Like you were saying, I don't have a traditional upbringing in cycling. A lot of my peers never had jobs. A lot of my peers didn't do a lot. They did a lot with cycling. They've traveled a lot. They've been around the world. They've been in a lot of hotel rooms. Um, I've, I've, I got here by hard work, and I got here by like a different way. Not that they didn't do hard work by any means, but it's. Uh, I think my upbringing and my trajectory came from uh, a much broader... Yeah. world <laughs> and uh i think because of that i'm i feel very uh consumed with what i do uh-huh. because I, I i know there's a time frame um regardless of my age and i want i see that if i just try things and if i really put my efforts into things and i ask questions and i i work smarter and not harder um and i learn from other people's mistakes that i can get to where i want to go in you know, a relatively short period of time, which I've I've done because I'm all ears and all eyes. Like I want to know what Jeremy did in 2000 in Europe. I want to know what Ryan did. I want to know. You know, I talked to some of the Euro guys, and I talked to as many of the guys that are currently racing as aren't racing mm-hmm. or whatever, and see what what not just what they did right, but what mistakes they made. Yep. Because not everything works for everyone the same way. So I feel like. Uh, you know, sometimes you do need to try other people's mistakes, and, but know that. You know, I want to ask you about another thing from the magazine story, and Spencer touched on this, I, I thought, very well. He asked you, you know, you, you talked about battling depression at some point in your career and seeing, you know, putting lots of time and effort into cycling and not getting the results that you wanted and feeling dry, you know, sort of detached socially from a lot of people in your life. And I'm curious what it's been like uh, as an athlete. Um dealing with that and how you you know how you how you live with that and how you've come to overcome it sure i mean i you know i i can't even say that you know uh, depression or anxiety developed in me in my cycling career i think it developed in me when i was very very young i mean i was always super super shy when i was really young uh i'm obviously not very shy now but um i had a lot of anxiety when i was in elementary school i mean i would uh i would you know, get pulled out of school, did homeschooling for a year, and then I get back in there, and, you know, I was always, like, uh, diagnosed with a learning disability, so then I was in kind of, like, separate classes and all these things, so, you know, i always been very self-conscious of myself, I've always been very, uh, kind of overly aware of other people's opinions and whatnot, and that's what probably drove me to 
my bike so much is that I could do it and uh, I think people accepted me in that community and uh, as I got older it continued to do the same but also drew me out of a lot of uh, kind of standard social relationships and uh, I developed a lot of uh, social uh, I, I just needed to be in social environments. So I started, uh, you know, my favorite places were like a skate park where I could just talk to lots of people that were automatically going to be into whatever I'm into. And then it was like the punk scene where I was in, I was going to the shows and like if I went to see, you know, whatever band was playing, if I went to go see This Bike is a Pipe Bomb in Pensacola, which is like their home shows, I knew everyone there was going to love them and I knew everyone there was like accepting and I was like, okay, this is a safe space for me. Um, and... Uh, so I would always flock to these social environments I knew were automatically going to be accepting to me. And so with cycling, it was much different. You're in this, or with, with racing, it's much different. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't involved with sports in, in school, no matter how much I tried. Um, and I, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't used to being alone. I mean, there's so many hours that you're doing, you know, by yourself. Or there's so much, like, you get knocked down. And instead of just being able to move on, I wanted to keep trying. So... It's another thing. I just, with everything else in my life, with photography, with even even with BMX, I mean, I, I eventually stopped riding. Uh, you get to a point where you're like, ah, it's too hard. I'm out. School, ah, too hard. I'm out. I don't want to do it. Um, any job that I've probably ever had outside of <laughs> bike shops, ah, I don't want to do it anymore. So, kind of having to stick to my guns and having to like finish something I started was really difficult. I know it sounds really whiny, but uh, it kind of, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, it was hard for me. It's hard enough, and um, I think having to be more mindful and practice um, practice just being accepting of whatever happens to me is and that whatever is out of control like everything is out of control unless I do something about it mm-hmm. um, took me a long time and I'm still dealing it. it's something I, I wouldn't say I deal with depression now I wouldn't even say that I deal with a lot of anxiety anymore. You don't um, seem to be a particularly anxious or depressed person. <laughs> no, but I also, I never have. I mean, people would be like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. you're yeah. always like goofy and dumb sounding. So now I'm like, uh, you know, there were just times where I would be like, I don't want to hang out with anybody. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to eat. I like, I don't want to leave the house. Like, I just want to sit home and listen to Elliot Smith records for six days straight. Like, and so I had to have people pull me out of that. Like yeah. my coach, Al was super good about that. And he would be like, Hey, let's talk like let's do this like let's work on meditation let's let's not ride today let's go to the creek or whatever and like go swimming and so talking to people about that and opening up and just one of the best things he ever told me was and my mom too my mom's a therapist and you know you think i'd just go straight to her but yeah they're your parents right um is that hey you're not you're not special like Yes, you're unique. You're not special. Mm-hmm. You're not hurting any more than anyone else hurts. Like this is something people deal with. And when when I finally got that across, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. people get over this. Like people deal with it, and like they live and they do all these things. And um, yeah, I just had to figure that out and figure out that uh, there is a way through it. And I just have to work, just like everything else. You got to work hard. To yeah, get over it. Well, it's it's an impressive story, Stephen, and I really appreciate you sharing that with us. I know that you know, having if you've had to deal with that something that that part of your life, that's not always easy to talk about. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, though, I want to talk about the big obstacle that you had to overcome, which was the crash in the last couple. Was the last turn at nationals last year? Icy, Ooh. snowy course. Oh boy! You got the big gap coming yeah. in for the win, and then yeah. all of a sudden, a sniper in the, in the tree above you just uh, <laughs> shot you in the derailleur. Oh man! What happened there? Well, that was tough because, like, well, I started that race off with a crash, 
And I was like, okay, hey, man, that's cool. Everything's fine. Like, we'll just go we'll get through this. And, uh, you know, I was like, okay, just focus. Everything's cool. And so then I've got this gap and I'm out to like 30 seconds and like 45 seconds. And I'm like, all right, all right. But I knew that, like, I knew Jamie is really good in those conditions. I knew if anybody was going to be there at the end, it was going to be him. And, like, all of a sudden he's in my, my peripheral. And I'm like, okay, all right, that's expected. And then uh, last lap, I pass the pit and my front tire is low. And I'm like, yeah, okay, everything's fine. This is totally cool. I'm just going into like the turny, rutted section. That's fine. We can do all the front flat. So we get to that that last off camber, and it's down to like 15 seconds. Yeah. He's cut it in half. And I'm like, okay, no, everything's fine. I'm totally not panicking. I'm totally panicking. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, this corner. And it just, you know, I'm on a flat, and it's ice, and it's this big, round, you know, kind of uh, off camber, you know, boob or something you know <laughs> it's like igloo and my front slides out it's so cold that the aluminum just snaps on the oh, hanger God. and uh no fault of anybody's really and uh i didn't even know it because it, like nothing the chain didn't come off or anything like that so i was like okay uh there's a run coming up like i had been kind of riding it and running it but i knew i wasn't on the bike right then so i wouldn't be able to so it was like split second okay just run. i ran and i remounted at the top and, you know, if anybody that saw that thing, it wasn't like a rut. It was an off-camber, like, chicane thing, right? And um, there wasn't a rut going down it. Nobody rode it wet, so it never formed a rut. So it's just ice. It's just, like this little ice wall. And I, I got up, I remounted, realized that there was no, like, tension on the chain, and I was like, uh-oh. And then I was like, uh, maybe I shouldn't do this on a front flat, but, you know, you only YOLO once. <laughs> so, like, YOLO move. <laughs> I did the YOLO move. As yeah, so I sent it down and I just like scootered. I still don't know what was really wrong with the bike. I thought maybe I dropped a chain or something. But um, I, I got within like, I literally, this was my thought was, okay, get within sliding distance. <laughs> <laughs> Worst case scenario, we home plate slide on the pavement. It's fine. It's worth it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And so at a certain point, you kind of had to know that you had the gap. Yeah, and, yeah. That's yeah. so, you know, I just like I was so excited. I lifted up my bike. Canada was there. Like everyone from Canada was there. It was because it's Connecticut, right? Yeah. Like my mom and dad were there. I mean, like my best friends were there. My this whole community that has accepted me and kind of adopted me and my my adopted community uh, was all there. And like I, I don't think I've ever. I mean, like yeah, I've won some small things before. I don't think I've ever like worked so hard to get to any point and like the emotion was just unbelievable i mean there will probably never be a day like that again oh, that's Ever. a great story yeah. well you had to go through an icy hell to get there and <laughs> yeah, you gave sure. us all a big scare i remember watching the live feed and be like oh my god that yeah. guy's gonna lose yeah. <laughs> oh disaster <Worst> ever <laughs> Well, Steven, I appreciate you sharing these stories with us and giving us your time. Uh, I'll let you go out there and race, and best of luck. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, and uh, yeah, thanks again for uh, doing the article, and I'm pretty happy with it. Of course. Yeah. Cheers. We'd love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on velonews.com. Subscribe to Velonews Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Velonews on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash velonews. The Velonews podcast is produced by Velonews, which is owned by the competitor group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Velonews podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout playing the Bernard Purdy classic, Soul Drums. Yeah.